But open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2. Once again, Matthew chapter 2. <clears throat> I mentioned on Wednesday night that uh, I love the wise men and looking at the wise men and some of the different elements that are there. And uh, today we're going to kind of look back in that direction as we will once again see uh, these wise men and some of the uh, lessons that maybe we can learn from them as we journey, or not really even journey with them, as we just look at their journey uh, just a little bit this morning. Uh, Matthew chapter 2, and we'll begin reading in verse number 1. If you can, and uh, you are willing, if you'll stand with me as we read, we'll read the first 12 verses of Matthew chapter 2, as uh, really this is the story of the wise men coming to visit. In Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse number 1, it says, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. But when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea. For thus it is written by the prophet, and thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, encountered of them diligently what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go, and search diligently for the young child. And when you have found him, bring me word again, that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. When they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. Father, we pray that you will speak to our hearts today. We love you. We thank you for your word and the uh, way that the word of God can be written uh, 2,000 plus years ago and yet apply to our day uh, so specifically and uh, even the specific time that we are in here in 2020 and as we are preparing to step into 2021. Lord, we thank you that we can learn from your word how to be people of wisdom and I pray that you'd help us in that today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Uh, one thing that I think probably all of us desire is to be a wise person. And uh, as we look at today, how to become a wise man, I do want to clarify, I'm not preaching on how to be a wise guy. Amen? Uh, big difference between being a wise guy and a wise man. I was looking at that this morning and I thought somebody's probably going to start acting like the Three Stooges after church and uh, walking around calling everybody a wise guy. But uh, really, we're looking at how do you become a person who's filled with wisdom. And these wise men uh, are called that. And have you ever wondered, why is it the Bible did not just call them three kings? Why are they called three wise men? And uh, I know there's an element there, I'm sure, of title. But the reality is that these men were not merely kings. They were not merely men who had position or title, but they were men who lived out truly being a person of wisdom. They were people who lived out being a wise man. And that's really what we want to learn today. How can we become a wise person? How can we follow some of the uh, characteristics of these wise men? 
and say, if that is part of what made them wise, then I want to follow those same things. I want to act in those same manners. And I want to make sure that I am living a life that is filled with wisdom. And so uh, that's really what we want to grasp today or kind of look at today, becoming a wise man. Uh, it, it's an amazing thing that these men uh, gave so much to seek after wisdom. We know that Jesus is the person of wisdom. He's the embodiment of wisdom. Here are these men, and uh, it's very picturesque that they're going to give of their time. They're going to give of their effort. They're going to travel all this way in order to come to the place and the person of wisdom. And the reality is, if these men who have so much and already have a title, apparently, of being wise men, if they already are there and yet they're giving this much, why is it sometimes that it's so tempting for us to not pursue wisdom every single day? I don't know about you, sometimes it's a, a difficult thing to pursue wisdom. We understand wisdom is the embodied in Christ. He's the person of wisdom, but we understand that this book is the embodiment of wisdom that we have. And we have contained in this book all the wisdom that we need for our lives. But I don't know about you, there's days where I have to get set down and I have to start reading my Bible and I have to make myself do it. And uh, it's not, I just, I'm busy sometimes and other things are on my mind. Sometimes I'm discouraged and I just don't feel like doing anything. Uh, sometimes it's, uh, I'm just being lazy and, and probably nobody else has ever had those moments. But uh, there are days for probably most of us in reality that we have to force ourselves. And after a while we get in and we start reading and we start going, I'm so glad I sat down. And spent time today doing what I didn't maybe feel like doing in the moment, but I'm so glad I got into the Word because I needed what God had for me today. And now my soul is refreshed. His mercies are new every morning. Sometimes we just don't realize it because we don't get in and experience it. And now all of a sudden we're refreshed. His mercies have been uh, revealed as new. We've seen the Word of God again. We have the wisdom needed for the day. We're ready to launch into another day. And uh, what a need, what a necessity that that is. And we have the opportunity like these men. I'm sure there were days along their journey. I'm sure there were times where they've thought, it's not worth it. Uh, we, it's been a cloudy night. We haven't even seen the star in a little while. Uh, I mean, are we really even going to get to see anything? Are we going the right direction? I'm sure there must have been discouragement somewhere along the journey. And yet they stayed faithful and they kept journeying and they kept pursuing wisdom. And so we want to make sure in 2021, as we look that direction now, that we are pursuing wisdom. And I want you to notice with me three proofs that these were truly wise men, three areas that we too can put in our life and make sure that we are living out. Number one, I see that these men were wise in their purpose. They were wise in their purpose. Look at verse number two. <clears throat> They've come now to Herod saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? Again, they have a, a, a direction. They have a reason for being here. They're searching for the man of wisdom, the person of wisdom. They are seeking the Lord Jesus Christ, and they are coming for this exact purpose. And then notice what they go on to say, verse number two, for we have seen this star in the east and are come. I see here, first of all, their purpose caused them to leave. It caused them, they didn't just stay home. They didn't just stay where they had always been. Uh, they did not stay in their comfort zone. Certainly as kings, they could have stayed in their own palace. 
Certainly as men of renown and men of position, men of uh, apparently some means and some wealth, they probably had servants to wait on them and they probably had others who would come and uh, care for every need that they might have and, and perhaps they had those who would cook their meals and those who would make sure that uh, some of just the nice things of life were provided and yet they were willing to give up everything, to climb on the back of a camel and to travel. Uh, most uh, scholars or whatever you want to call them, uh, guesstimate that it was somewhere between 500 and 1,000 miles that these men traveled. We don't know exactly, but today a 500 to 1,000 mile journey is a pretty good journey. We jump in the car, we drive a few hours, uh, we probably have to stop at McDonald's somewhere along the way, we have to get gas once, maybe twice, and, and I mean, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's like, wow, we spent a day getting there. Can you imagine the travel even in this culture that we have today, if you had to ride it on a horse instead of a camel. And could you imagine uh, what it would be to travel in that kind of a manner? And here are these men traveling in great danger. They're traveling roads that were dusty and dirty. They're traveling day after day, uh, week after week, apparently uh, year, year and a half, two years, that they are every day moving along the way. And they're traveling, and they're coming, and they're working, and they're laboring. It caused them to say, the comforts of life we're willing to set aside, that we might go and seek this person of wisdom, this one who is the child of God, this one who is born king of the Jews. What an incredible picture for us as we travel through life. There are some things that we'll have to leave behind. There are some things that we'll have to say, you know what, uh, those areas, and we heard some about it in Sunday school this morning, uh, maybe not even an area of grave sin, or uh, maybe not even something that is wrong, but it's a weight which so, does so easily beset us. It's just something in our life that hinders us from being as effective for Christ as we could be. And, and we have to take and lay aside some of the comforts and some of the niceties of life, some of the things that our culture offers, and say, you know what, instead of being tied up with all those things, I'm just going to make sure I'm tied up with the Word of God. I'm going to make sure that I'm getting in. I'm going to make sure that I'm focusing. I'm going to make sure uh, that God is not only first place, but every place in my life. And, and I'm going to spend my life pursuing His wisdom, pursuing the person of Jesus Christ. Maybe this morning you'd say, Pastor, I have uh, an understanding of what you're talking about. I know what it is, at least to some extent, to pursue Christ. The Bible tells us there's a few steps to this. Step number one would be knowing Jesus as your Savior. Maybe you'd say, Pastor, I know that. There's no doubt. I know if I were to die right now that I have a relationship with God, that I would go to heaven for all of eternity. There's no doubt about it. I have that part settled. Maybe this morning you'd say, I don't know that for sure. Yeah, I'd like to. I'd like to be positive. I'd like to have that settled. But, but I don't know absolutely sure that I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Can I say to you, that is step number one. And as we go into 2021, the most important thing is knowing Jesus as your Savior. Maybe somebody watching online might say, Pastor, I don't know that for sure. I'd encourage you to send me an email this week or call the church, and uh, we'd love to help you with that. Uh, the reality is that uh, the most important, the beginning step, the first stage of wisdom is knowing Jesus is your Savior. Many of us here this morning would say, Pastor, we've got that settled. I mean, we have pursued him that far. We have pursued him in receiving him as our Savior. Good. Let me ask you, are you pursuing him every day? 
I'm not asking, do you read your Bible every day? I'm not asking, do you have your devotions? I'm not talking merely about going through the motions and checking off the list. I'm talking about, are you pursuing him every single day? Here were these men. They didn't check it off of a list. Rather, they got on the back of a camel and they rode all day long. And then they would stop and spend the night and get up and ride all day long. And you know, sometimes if we're not cautious, even as a uh, saved person, even knowing Christ as, uh, in, in a personal manner, as our personal Savior, if we're not careful, it can become, well, I know I have to have my devotions in the morning, so okay, I read my couple chapters, and uh, I, I did what I was supposed to do, I can mark it off of the list, I'm done with that. And then we go about our day. And yet the reality is, that's not how the Christian life is meant to be lived, Amen. I mean, we know it, but it's so easy to fall into that. The Christian life must be all day, every day, in every decision, in everything that we do, in every opportunity that we have, seeking that we are pursuing Him. Pursuing a deeper walk with the Savior. Pursuing a deeper relationship with Him. I don't know uh, about you, but I know about me, that doesn't happen every day, all day. I mean, sometimes a decision comes, and I know what we probably ought to do, and I make a decision, and later I go, hmm, I probably should have prayed about that. You ever done that? Or you're going through the day and just trying to get through Walmart without everybody being in the way, especially this time of year, and you see the line that is the shortest line, and you beeline to it before everybody else sees it, and you just try to get there. We were in a line yesterday, and uh, this other line opened, and I said, it's open. And I, um, I was expecting my wife to sprint as fast as she could over to that line. And she said, you're right. And she didn't move. And by the time I started to move, there was already three people in line. I said, oh, man, we missed our line. And uh, I wasn't really telling you it was open. I was just trying to get around all these other people. And, and sometimes we can get so busy in life. And, uh, and the way that, uh, at least that I shop is, go in, find that thing you need, go home. That's really how shopping should be. Amen. And all the men said amen. And, uh, and you just get in, kill the beast, drag it home. That's the way God made us. And, and so uh, I want to go in, knock the job out, go home. I'm done. Don't stand in line. That's why I like the self-check line. I mean, you know, I, there's six of them. And I can scan my stuff fast. And I can just go home. And that's the way it's supposed to work. But you know, sometimes in the middle of that, it might be, even for us men, that God wants us to slow down a little bit in Walmart or wherever we are and say, who is it that I could just hand them an invitation to church and say, hey, we'd love to have you sometime. We'd just love to be a blessing. And, and, and who is it that maybe today they're open to the gospel, that maybe today uh, they're waiting or they, God's been working in their life in such a manner, or this Christmas being different than most for their family, maybe they're open in a way they haven't been before. Sometimes it just requires slowing down in the midst of all that is swirling in our world to figure out, can I help somebody else with everything swirling in their world when the answer is really Christ and they just need to know him? And so what we see here are, are these men. It's all day. It's every day. They're constantly laboring. They're constantly going. They're constantly traveling. It caused them to leave. And if we're going to make a difference for others, and if we're going to be like these men, and we're going to fulfill the purpose that God has for our lives, it will require leaving our comfort zone. Whatever our comfort zone is, we all have different things that we are comfortable doing and other things we are not so comfortable doing. But whatever our comfort zone is, 
God will always require us to step outside of that because in our comfort zone, it's us. Outside of our comfort zone, we have to rely on him. So he never lets us do his whole plan and his whole purpose within our comfort zone. He always requires stepping out to a place where we're not comfortable, to a place we don't like being, to a situation that doesn't work very well in our estimation. He always requires that. And that's why we can look at 2020 and say it was not a bad year. What did 2020 do? It helped us to step outside some comfort zones. Man, this is not a a bad thing, even as churches uh, as a whole. It's going to make us figure some things out. And we're looking at some things. I'm looking at some things for next year already and saying, how do we adjust some things and and be able to do things in a manner that uh, might work a little bit better to the culture that we find ourselves in right now and and some of the setting that we find ourselves. And there's probably some tweaks and adjustments. And by the way, we're not going to throw out the baby with the bathwater. Amen? Um, No, no, exactly. I do know where that came from, but I don't know exactly why that needs to be said, but that's what you have to say. And so uh, we're not just going to have wholesale change everything, but there's adjustments that can be made. And we're working on those things. And how do we adjust those? And what does it do? It helps a, a to say, we're going to have to step outside of just what's always been and do some things that are different than they've always been. By the way, did you know that's how Sunday school was invented? It was a difficult time. I believe it was around the end of uh, uh, World War II one or two, somewhere in there, I can't remember the exact, and, uh, but when it happened, there was a man, and there were children, they weren't learning to read, and things of that nature, as, uh, like they needed to, and so he decided that what he would do is, before church on Sunday morning, he'd take the Bible, and like they used to do back in like the one-room schoolhouses and things like that, he would use the Bible as the primer, and teach them to read from the Bible. Pretty novel idea, amen? And uh, probably be a good idea if we went back to that. Do you realize people tell me all the, I'm getting off on all these sidetracks. People tell me all the time they can't understand the Bible. Do you know it was written for what at that time was a third grade reading level? And today, a lot of adults struggle to read it. I mean, it'd probably be a good idea to go back to that being the way we learn how to read. But anyway, that's just a side note. And, And so... Here this man said, I'm going to come in uh, before church on Sundays and we'll have the kids come. And he was going to train them to read. That's why they called it Sunday school. It was actually school. They just had to do it on Sunday. And uh, then eventually that kind of morphed over into being where we have some different classes and things of that nature. God used a difficult time to bring about something that now has been in use for uh, decades and been a great blessing to many churches and helped many children learn a lot and, and things of that nature. And God's greatly used it, but it took a difficult time. It took a problem. And it took somebody thinking a little bit outside the box of what is normal. And uh, I like the book that Brother Vaughn wrote, that we need to think outside the box but inside the book. And that's exactly the way it is. It needs to be biblical, But it needs to be creative. And we live in a time where we have opportunities in this year. Do you realize God placed us here in this place and at this time, and he let you be born in such a time to be here in the exact moment that this is. God placed us here for this moment. By the way, it's not a time to run, and it's not a time to fear. It's a time to stand boldly and say, this is the moment that God has built us for. So let's go do something for him. This is a time to put things in a higher gear, not to pull back. And so really, uh, this is an opportunity. This, this is what it causes. It causes us to get out of our comfort zone. These men said, look, we're willing to leave the place of comfort. We're willing to leave home that we might know all the wisdom of God. Can I say to you, if we're going to know the wisdom of God in 2021, if we're going to grow in him, he's going to require us to leave the place of comfort. 
Are you willing to leave the comfort zone? Are you willing to step out? Their purpose caused them to leave. They said, we have come. But then also I see that their purpose carried them to a new land. Coming meant they had to leave where they were, but we have come, it means they are now where they are. Pretty good breakdown of the passage, amen? I mean, we used to be there, now we're here. We have come. So what does that mean? That means it took them out of somewhere, but it also brought them into somewhere. If we're going to follow the wisdom of God, if we're going to this year grow in our relationship with Him, sure, it'll cause us to have to leave our comfort zone. But you know where we get to come into? The place of His peace. The place where He's providing. And one day, we can look at this and say, there's a day we're going to be able to say, we've arrived. By the way, this life isn't about here. Amen? The goal is not how long can we spend on earth. The goal is, can we be faithful for the time God gives us on earth? That's what he's going to judge it on, is faithfulness. So can we be faithful while we're here? Can we fulfill the purpose he gave us while we were here? It's not about how long do we have here. It's about how faithful are, are we while we're here, because really the goal is to get there. One day we're going to be able to see Jesus, and we're going to be able to say, I have come, I'm here, I've come into heaven, I've now not only my place of comfort, but I've left the world that I previously knew. But we understand for the Christian, death is not the end. It's merely the greatest door of opportunity that we'll ever have. And when we cross over that, through that door, that we get to stand and see our Savior face to face, and we get to enter into the very portals of glory, and when we get there, we're going to be able to hear if we've been faithful and, and consistent and accomplished His purpose, well done, our good and faithful servant. Oh, what a day to be able to come in and enjoy the glories of his paradise. Oh, what a day that'll be. It will carry us like it carried them to, to a new land, following him and knowing him. And as we're growing in him, what a joy when that faith in that relationship with Christ carries us to a new land for the rest of eternity. That's what it's really about. That's what this thing is. It's a time of, uh, of preparation here, but that's all this life is. It's only preparation for eternity. And we look forward to the day we get there, amen? So I see here that these men were wise in their purpose. They didn't live life loose. They didn't live life by accident. They didn't just kind of say, well, whatever comes along, we'll deal with it when we get there. No, they knew their purpose. Their purpose was Jesus, and they strove to get closer to him. They strove to have a relationship with him. They strove to have that relationship deepening. They gave everything all day, every day, to be able to have a relationship with Jesus that was as good as it could be. And so I see here were some men, they were wise because they lived by purpose, not by chance. They were wise in their purpose, but secondly, they were wise in their path. They chose a wise path. Look at verse number five. It says, and they said unto him, uh, let's back up to verse number four. When he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes, this is Herod, of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. So Herod needs to figure this out. Herod says, how, how in the world are we going to figure out who this person is and where they are that is threatening my position? And Herod really was only concerned with his own position. He was concerned with his own power, and that's all he cared about, even if it meant putting children to death. So he's processing, and he turns to the scribes of the Pharisees. He brings them all together. He says to these people, now, now, where is this person going to be born? I don't know. 
Apparently, they didn't have this memorized. Apparently, they didn't understand. I don't know why, but they had to go look it up. It would appear. And they come back and they say, now, now hear it. The prophet says that this is where it's going to be. You know what they did? They found it in the Bible. What a good idea, amen? Now, how is it they knew who to ask for? Because previously, verse number two, they came to Herod saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? So when they came to Herod, they already know who they're looking for, but he doesn't know who this child is. They already know a lot about him. They know the star. They know uh, that he's going to be the king of the Jews. They know a lot about him. And, And yet Herod doesn't know. Where does he go to find out? Well, he asked these guys. These guys go to the scriptures. The only thing I can come up with is that apparently these wise men back home had a copy of the Old Testament scriptures. To them, they were probably just ancient writings, would probably be what they would consider them. But in their search, they apparently saw the star. They recognized there was something different about the star. It must be some kind of a sign. And so they apparently went to these ancient writings. They sat down and they must have found, maybe not this one that told them Bethlehem, but they found enough to know in their ancient writings that this star had to be what was the foretelling of the one or the announcement of the one who was going to be born the king of the Jews. They knew who he was. There's only one way they could know that. That was by the Old Testament writings, and they apparently had at least some understanding of them or some copy of them uh, that they were able to go study and read. And so I believe their path here is pretty clear. Their path was not a physical path primarily. It was the path of the Word of God. They have apparently studied the Word of God enough to know this is going to be the king of the Jews. And so they know the general direction they're going. Certainly in a year and a half, they must have had some cloudy nights. They couldn't actually see the star. But they still knew the right direction. They still knew where they were going on their journey because they had already looked at the path. The path was the scripture. The scriptures told them where to go. So now they're closer. They're they're in the borders of Israel now. They're in the right general vicinity, but they haven't apparently come to the text to be able to figure out, maybe they don't even have it, to figure out Bethlehem. So they know this has to be the right area, that we know he's going to be born the king of the Jews. We know we're in the Jews' homeland now. So they come to the one person that would make sense, Herod. I mean, after all, he's in the position of being the king. He must know where the baby is that's going to be born. Maybe they even figured it was going to be his child or or was his child. I I don't know, but I, I mean, it would make sense. Here's this one who's this ruler. He certainly should know where the one being born as the next king is. And he's saying... What? There was a king born that I don't know about? Somebody who has a rightful, uh, uh, who has a rightful heir to the throne? Of course, the typical thing to do would be to kill him so you don't lose your throne. So that's all he's thinking. It's an amazing thing he didn't have any clue. He had to go search the scriptures. These men had searched the scriptures. Now the answer comes back, Bethlehem. And, and, and so we see that the pathway, yes, they traveled a physical path. And yes, we travel a physical path in life. And there are physical things that we deal with. And, and there are situations and problems and trials and challenges. And all those things are physical in this world. But that's really not the pathway. Our pathway really is the word of God. That's what really defines it for us. 
That's what tells us how to make decisions and which decisions to make and where to go. And, and, and this year has been a struggle in many of those things. What decision do we make here and what decision do we make there? And, and yet we come back and we try uh, as best we can to say, let's take the scripture and figure out how does it apply to the day? How does it apply to this decision? How does it apply to this moment? And, and, and how do we make the decisions that are biblical decisions or following biblical principles? And that's how our whole life must operate. So God has given us the path, and I see it as an old path. John 1, 1 tells us in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, was already before the beginning with God, was already before the beginning God himself. What an amazing path. We get to follow that path. The beginning was the Word, and the Word, we understand, is Jesus. And the reality of it is that you can't separate Jesus from the Bible or the Bible from Jesus. And so we have the written Word that we hold in our hand. He is the living Word. The reality is that, that we don't bow down and worship the leather and the, the wood, the paper. We don't bow down and worship the physical. But yet this is, these words that are recorded for us, the very words of God himself, they're reliable. The word of God is worthy of worship and praise. And we understand this is an old path before the foundations of the world were ever laid. Jesus was already existent, the eternal word. And now he has given to us the written word, what we need for this life. What a path to be able to follow what truth to be able to hold. What a reality to be able to go in that direction. And then we see that it's the only path. Not only is Jesus the word, but John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh the Father but by me. He's the way. He's the only path. There is no other option to come to God. And sometimes we use that verse maybe in soul winning. We tell somebody there's only one way to, to God, and that's through the person, Jesus Christ, and understanding that he died on the cross, that he shed his blood, that he gave his life, that he was buried, but that three days later, by his own power, he rose from the dead, and he conquered death, hell, and the grave. And now he offers to you everlasting life. Oh, what a truth to offer. Amen. But you know... Jesus did not say that in the context of telling someone how to go to heaven. I mean, at least not a lost person, let's put it that way. He didn't say that verse in the context of, uh, well, when you don't know Jesus is your Savior, then you need to understand he's the only... No, that's not what he was talking about. He was talking to his apostles. He was talking to the, the uh, really the 11 at this point. He was talking to the men who were about to watch him go to the cross and they would be scattered according to the word of God. And he's speaking to them and he's telling them things like, I'm going to go somewhere you can't come right now, but someday you'll be able to come and you don't know where I'm going, but I'll be back and you'll see me again. And they're saying, but, but what? we don't understand. Why can't we go where you're going and how do we know the way if, if we don't know the way and if we can't go where you're going, then how do we know how to come where you're going? And, and we don't understand what you're saying. And his answer to him was, in part, I am the way. Hey, if you know me, you already know the Father. I am the way. I am the truth. Hey, believe in me. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. He was not saying this primarily to the lost. It's a great application. But he said it primarily to the saved who had hearts that were troubled. 
And maybe this morning you say, Pastor, I know I'm saved, but my heart is troubled. I'm going through some challenges. This year has been a, a challenge in some ways. All right, then listen to what he says. Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in, you believe in God. Believe also in me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. The way to the Father, the way to keep traveling, the way to press forward, the way to be faithful. I'm that way, so stay on that way. Keep following. Stay right in tune and in touch with Jesus. It's an old path, but he's also the only path. I see here were men, they took the word of God and they figured out where to go. And by the word of God, they understood to go to Bethlehem. And then that light of that star brought them right to the very place where he lived. God gave miraculous direction to their life because they were already following the word of God for their life. You know what happens? We follow the word of God. Have you ever come to one of those times where it doesn't tell you what to do? I remember when I was getting ready to go to Bible college and and I was trying to figure out where to go. And you know, I really was just trying to find some verse or maybe somebody that would tell me. but, But I really wanted to just find a verse that said, thou shalt go to and then put the, put the college there. I mean, everybody had a tour group, they all sounded good. You know, they all have a Bible class, they all sound good when they tell you about it. They all, I, I mean, when I was at that stage, it just seemed like, how do you know what to do? When I got ready to get married, I wished I could find a verse that said, yes, you're making the right decision. That is the person. Or if it would have just said, no, I, okay. I mean, all I need to know is what your plan is, Lord. I always tell the Lord, I'm not smart enough to figure it all out. You're going to have to make it real clear. But if you'll make it real clear, I'll do it. It doesn't matter what it is. I just have to know what it is. You ever get there where you're not sure? I think we all have. And then what happens? The Holy Spirit of God, who's taken up residence in us, begins to lead and guide and give us understanding so we can make the decision God wants us to make. It's miraculous guiding, miraculous leadership. He, he sheds light on the topic, the subject, or the decision. And by the miraculous working of the Holy Spirit of God, he gives us direction. But not if we're not already following the path. The problem is if we're not on the right path, if we're not following the right way, if we're not already in the word of God, and then we say, now Lord, will you just give me some miraculous direction? No, we're not in the right place to see the light. And so he says, listen, follow the word of God. It's going to bring you to the right place. Here they are. They're coming to Bethlehem. They're going the right direction. And then as they followed that path, the miraculous direction came in to give them a specific answer to a specific need. I want to encourage us this year as we get ready to step into 2021, let's make sure we're on the path of the word of God. Let's make sure we're in the book. Let's make sure we're faithful to the word of God. Let's make sure we're studying and we're taking it and applying it so that we know where to go and how to walk and all those things. And as we're walking that way, then we can trust that he'll give us miraculous direction and guidance as we come to the specifics of life that maybe the Bible doesn't exactly say thou shalt, that God will give us direction by the Holy Spirit to understand what his plan is and his direction is. And so we see here, uh, these men were wise in their purpose. They lived by purpose. They were wise in their path. They were on the right path. First Timothy 2.5 says there's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. That was their path, was the path to Jesus. And then we see number three and finally, they chose a wise position. They had a wise purpose. They, they were on a wise path, and they chose a wise position. Verse number two says that they came to him, uh, to Herod here, and they're looking for Jesus. And they said that they have come, in the end of the verse, uh, we are come to worship 
They're not coming that they might gain from him. They're not coming merely to get something. They are coming to worship him. And so we see a right response here, and, and we see a, uh, they are choosing a wise position. Then verse number 11, it says, And when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. I see here they were coming to worship, and the position is a position of humility. What are they going to do? They're going to fall down. The, the idea here that they fell down before him is the idea of falling on their face in humble position. Of worship. So here come these men, these kings, these wise men, and they are wise enough, first of all, to choose a position of humility, bowing on their faces. Isn't it interesting, as kings, that they were humbled before Jesus the King? And yet, if we're not cautious, it's difficult for us to remember to be humble before Jesus the King. He is today seated on the throne. He is not today in the place that he was here, the position of Jesus, the kid. They could have looked at him and seen just a child. And they could have said, oh, we brought him some nice gifts, and, and that's our manner of worshiping him. But no, 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 they came in great humility, and they bowed before this little child. What an act of worship. What an act of humility. These men, these kings who were humbled before a child, before a kid, should remind us that as Jesus is king, seated on his throne today, we should be humbled before him. Come in a manner of adoration. In order to go to heaven, someone has to humble themselves. Say, I can't do it on my own. I can't get myself there. And so we have to come. And if you're saved this morning, you've come to the cross. You've come humbled and recognized, I cannot. I'm a sinner. I don't deserve heaven. And so I've humbled myself. I've recognized my utter failure, my inability to do anything about it, and I've turned to Christ alone for my salvation. That is what is required for salvation. But you know, sometimes we get back up, and we start marching along the path of life, and we have a few little successes along the way, and we start thinking, I'm really doing something good for God. We have to come back to this place of humility and say, no, Anything that's good that happens in me or in my life, that's all him. And anything bad that happens in me or in my life, that's all me. And there's really nothing in between. He's not a part of any of the bad, and I'm not a part of any of the good. Because I have nothing good in me. Not even one thing. And he has no wrong or bad in him. And by the way, even when he allows something we sometimes want to call bad, like a trial, that comes into our lives, when he's the one allowing it and controlling it, it's actually good. Amen? Because he's good all the time. He's always right. He's always in perfect control. And even the things that we do that are bad that result in problems and trials because we made a bad decision, he still can take those and work them together for good to them that love God and do according to his book. What an incredible Savior. And so we see here that here are these men, they come in a position of humility. They recognize uh, that it's not about them, and it's not about what they can do for Jesus. It's not about them being the ones to be praised and glorified. I don't think they came and said, now, uh, Jesus, now we came and we're kings. We bowed before you, and, and we brought you these really nice gifts. Now, if you'd record us in Scripture, we'd appreciate that. They were not anticipating that 2,000 years later we'd be reading about them. They didn't come for any other acclaim. They didn't come so that they'd have a better position with God uh, in that sense. They came to humbly 
worship the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who was born King of the Jews. And they came saying, this man is worthy of our worship even as a two-year-old child. And so I see here the response of these men. I see the way that they came. They chose a wise position, a position of humility, and then a position of worship. Worship means to ascribe worth to. Here they came, and they're ascribing worth to Jesus. They're ascribing worth beyond what any uh, financial means could begin to, uh, to understand or begin to amount to. And, and so now they come to Jesus ascribing worth to his name. Uh, they come because they just want him to know they adore him and they love him. And, and it's really all about him. I wonder when is the last time that you've ascribed worth to his name? Have you read his letter to you? It's a love letter from heaven. Are you reading the scripture daily? Are you speaking back to him in prayer on a regular basis? I, I mean, are, are you uh, telling a God how great he is and how much you love him and the reasons? And, and are you quoting back his promises to him and talking to him about those things? Are you ascribing worth to his name? That's what it means to worship. To worship Christ. But part of worshiping is come these men and they are worshiping the Savior. But as an act of worship, they come back out and they get into their pack and their camel and they pull out their treasures, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and they bring those back. Now they've already worshiped, but a heart of worship says, I now have a desire to present. The word present literally means to place by the hand of. If I were to bring uh, uh, Brother Rich up this morning and say, Brother Rich, we'd like to give you this songbook uh, just as a momentous uh, occasion because you have such a great voice and you sing out in the congregation. And we appreciate it so very much that we want to thank you for the way that you sing. And so, uh, and I was speaking to him here, so Brother Rich, we want to give you this songbook. Here you go. Normally I'd have someone come up, but we can't right now. But you'd say, that is weird. <laughs> If you're going to present something to somebody, you hand it to them. You place it by their hand. You don't hold it the opposite direction. And the reality is, if we're going to present something, we're going to place it near or by the hand of. Here they came, and they bring in these gifts. And they place them by, they place them before the Lord Jesus himself. Presenting to him. This Christmas season, and as that is winding down, and we look forward to a new year, God tells us, that which he desires to be our gift to him. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies, a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It only makes sense. He says, look, I don't, I'm not interested in gold and frankincense and myrrh. And, and that's not what he's looking for. I'm interested in you. Will you present yourself a living sacrifice that I can use? They were passing the offering plate back when we were allowed to pass offering plates. And a little boy, as the offering plate came down the aisle, it was missions conference, and, and he didn't have anything to put in. He began to think about that, and he was sitting, sitting towards the back, and the plate just kept going down aisle after aisle, row after row, and, and the little boy watched as it was getting closer and closer and closer, and people were putting in money, and, and some of them stacks of money as it was the final night, and everyone was giving their greatest offering uh, for the, the missionaries and all those things, and, and the little boy didn't have anything, and he wanted to have something, and, and finally as that offering plate came close, he, he grabbed onto it, and he laid it down on the floor in the aisle, and he stood out, and he stepped into the offering plate. The usher came and he said, son, get off the, don't the offering plate. What are you doing? He said, well, sir, I don't have any money. So I'm just giving myself to the Lord. 
You know, that heart is what God wants us to come to him with as we get ready to start a new year. Lord, afresh and anew, I'm presenting my body. I'm presenting myself to be used for you in 2021. What's the idea? What does it mean? Lord, I'm bringing myself and I'm placing myself by the hand of you. So Lord, here I am. I'm presenting but once it's been presented, once that, that trophy has been awarded, been given, now it's that person's to do whatever they want. If somebody's given a trophy, they can take it home and throw it in a junk drawer. Or they can take it home and put it in a trophy case. They can put it on a shelf or they can give it away to someone else and say, I never really liked that trophy anyway. It's really up to them what they do with it. And what we do is we come and we say, Lord, I'm just placing myself by your hand. Here I am, I'm presenting myself but you can do whatever you want to with me. It doesn't matter. You can use me for something that is exciting. You can use me for something that's boring. You can use me to serve you in the manner that makes sense to me, or, or you can use me just to, if I feel like you just put me on a shelf and forgot about me, that's okay, Lord. Because the fact that you died on the cross and you saved my soul, you've already proven you love me. So Lord, no matter what the extremes are, no matter how exciting or how unexciting, no matter how difficult or how easy, no matter what it is you want to do with me in 2021, Lord, here am I. I'm not trying to call the shots. I'm not trying to get you to use me in a certain way. I'm not trying to have any kind of a, a, a way of saying this is what needs to happen. Lord, I'm just presenting. So I present myself. Now you do whatever you want to with it. And that's your part, and I'll do my part. And that is, I'll do whatever you tell me to do. And that's how we need to come as we step into a new year. How do we do that? By not being conformed to this world, but being transformed by the renewing of our mind. How do we do it? We follow the path, the word of God, that transforms the mind. So that we come to the place we say, it's not about me, it's all about you. And it's not about how I want you to use me. It's all about how you decide to use me. And Lord, all I am is just presenting. Now you do the part of choosing what you want to do with me in 2021. And Lord, I'll do it, no matter what it may be. And really, that's how we ought to enter a new year. Lord, would you give me the goals that you have for this year? Would you give me the direction you have for this year? And then would you help me to be flexible throughout it? Lord, help me to be transformed in my mind so that I can be transformed into the very image of God and would you help me and make me into what you want me to be? It's really all about him. Amen? And it's all about, Lord, how can I use this year to serve you? Father,